This is all the noise from the chair I can get. Just all the variations. Okay, so long days and pleasant nights to y'all. Oh, that's a terrible intro. I listened back to that and decided to keep it. Um, this week's episode's guests, there's too many possessives in that sentence. Uh, Chris London, I had a talk with him. He's a good guy. He's also my roommate, but he's an actor, writer, director, producer, and we talk a lot about his directorial debut of Uncle Gareth, which should be coming out soon in the festival circuit, which is an excellent film that I happen to have worked on as well. Um, we also talk a lot about his next, one of his next projects, which was uh, about autism, and that was a really good thing to talk about, you know, getting his perspective on that. But I'm gonna just let him talk for himself, because he's real good at it, and that's not, <laughs> that came out wrong, but like, no, he's really good, and he's very uh, articulate, and I, I hope you have a good time, as good a time as I did having the talk. Anyway, I'm just gonna play the damn thing. Also, I apologize for all the lump lump lumps in the mic. That was my bad. Ugh. Just bear with me. Talking to Miles about that, like, um, there's a line in American Gods of, um, it's the only game in town, but you know it's rigged, and that's life. Because, like, everyone loses at it eventually. Kind of pessimistic, but, like, <clears throat> I feel like that's how it is. Like, it's a rigged game. But anyway, so we're recording. That was from Luke Ray, wasn't it? What? Oh, that she can do it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were like, I'm going to give it to some one of my friends. I'm like, I'll take that. I love I love Wonder Woman. And you're like, this is one of my friends. I was going to go to Chelsea. Yeah. Oh, really? Well... So that's uh, that's not quite. Yeah, that's not. It's not quite the same thing. It's just uh, just one of my friends. Right. Well, I didn't know. You said I could have it if you want to take it back. Did I? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't care. She probably doesn't care. Yeah. She's not huge. Well, she's more into Wonder Woman now mm-hmm. than she was back then. Yeah, she was more Harley and Poison Ivy. Than yeah, anything yeah. that makes sense. Um, but yeah. Um, so I'm here with Chris. He, you're my roommate. Um, and that's all you need what? to know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, he is an actor, writer, director, producer, everything. It's like he went into a closet, puts out all of the hats, and tries to wear them all at once. And never came out of the closet. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm um, still waiting for that. <laughs> how many? So, how many people have you had to introduce as your roommate now? Um, two, two, two. Well, I introduced Tyler as guy who was on my couch, so kind of my roommate. Sure. Yeah, like, well, in as much as, like, there's a room, and I guess he's my mate, you know. Roommating. Yeah, clearly. This was, a bunch, like, a bunch of ostriches in springtime. Well. Okay. So. Yes. Yeah, um, you are from Washington State. Yeah, I'm wearing a shirt. Sort of. Sort of? Yeah. I wasn't born there. Okay. I was born in Oregon. Okay. Then I kind of grew up in Utah and then Washington. Okay. Did you, like... Obviously, you mentioned Utah Mormons live there. Did you have many Mormon friends there, or? Uh, my neighbor was Mormon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were mostly, most of the people I knew were Orthodox Catholic. Huh. As opposed to unorthodox Catholic. As opposed to not practical at all. As, as opposed to Catholics who were human. Uh, <laughs> so the, okay. Either way, shitload of kids. Uh yeah, no, my family. It's it's all more children than they ever should have had. Yeah. Uh, we've we've got a larger carbon blueprint than uh, 
than most people. Than which is most people in general. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, see, my mom's family. She's got. There's six of them. She's she's got five siblings. There's six of them. My dad's got four mm-hmm. altogether. That's a family of four. And then I've got five siblings. Mm-hmm. So. And where are you in that lineup? I'm the oldest. Okay. Oldest of six. That explains all the mothering. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> explains why that comes very natural. And you're like, I just, I want to, I want to help, but I want to do it correctly. Um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, and your, your parents are separated. They're divorced. Yeah. Yeah. They got split in half. Yeah. Just like bisected. When I was, when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they both remarried and kept making kids. Good. So, uh, when you say you're the oldest of five... I'm the oldest of six. six. That's two from the first marriage, and then two from both of the remarriages. Okay. Yes. Okay. You had to do math quick. All right. Um, and, uh, so what's that dynamic like? I, I don't have any experience with that, like, personally at all. What dynamic? Of, like, going to both your mother and your father's, like, do you... Would you switch holidays? Like, that sort of thing. I'd, I'd never... Yeah, more or friends. less. Uh, when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Well, at first, with the divorce, my dad was back in Utah, and then we were in Washington. Mm-hmm. And so we would go back... We'd go back over the summer and be there. And uh, I think Christmas, we'd alternate between going to Utah and him coming out to Washington. Mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, with holidays, they're supposed to swap, like, every other weekend, but it just kind of fell into, like, whatever we felt like, eventually, <laughs> once they moved in, once they lived in the same town. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, whatever they wanted to do. Okay. Okay. So, that, like, kind of mobile lifestyle yeah. you're used to, like... Just... Usually, we'd spend, like, Christmas at one and New Year's at the other, mm-hmm. uh, but as far as I can remember, there wasn't, like, an actual, like, rigid plan most of the time okay and uh when you started acting when you were in high school or before that even yeah i started acting in high school uh end of my freshman year i auditioned for the musical at the beginning of my freshman year and didn't get in because i had no energy and was <laughs> too shy and it was also a community show so there was everybody was there I there see. was a lot of people there so there was no reason to go with me okay um then uh, the last show my freshman year, I auditioned to gangs. I just really wanted to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to take me because uh, they were doing Anne Frank. And, and you were perfect for Anne. No, I was uh, one of like four guys that auditioned. I see. And so they really didn't. And they wanted understudies. So mm-hmm. they really had no option but to take everybody that auditioned, more or less. I see. Uh, so I wound up understudying for Peter. Um, and, uh, yeah, then I did every play after that. Yeah. So, so. Okay. And, uh, you and I went to the same school, and that's how we met. In Washington. Yes. Yeah, in Washington, yeah. I'm clearly from Washington. We've known each other for so many years. It's really redundant that we're doing this now. Yeah, we met at a, uh, we met at the drama bookshop at a, uh, seminar that David Lindsay Abair was holding. Yes. I remember, I vaguely remember that, yeah. I don't remember why I went. I think I went with Claire, and one Max of the girls from my section. Too. I might have gone with Max too. Yeah. 
It might have been Max and Claire, or it might have actually just been Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we went there. I think I actually recognized you guys from one of the classes. Yeah, Meisner class. I think. Yeah, came in and I, I came in at one point me. and sat there and contributed nothing. Yeah, and, but it was uh, nice to have an extra body there. And I lived across the hall from Colby. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares about this. Um. I. That's fine. Um, Nobody cares about this in the podcast. Okay, well... Nobody that listens to this is going to care about... You're right, like, it's not going to be, like, 90% friends and family that are actually nice to catch up with you. Well, yeah, but even then, they're not going to care about the ins and outs of how everybody hooked up. Telling them the subway story wouldn't be very good. (laughs) Alright, fine. If you know know what the subway story is. I, I... Uh, the together, together, separate. That yes. One? Okay. How yeah. Colby, how Colby and I became friends. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. They, yeah. They don't. They don't want to hear that. So yeah. We're so gonna, we're gonna. We're just gonna move on. Um. <laughs> so. It's a. It's a hilarious story. It's great, but they don't. But, they yeah, don't care they don't about really that. Care. Um. Yeah. But okay, all right. So we went to this game called That's How We Met. Blah 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 blah. Um. And so, did you always think of yourself as someone who wants to generate your own content, or did you start out going, "I just want to be an actor"? Uh. When I was at NYCDA, mm-hmm. I realized that I'm not particularly attractive or talented. <laughs> and so I needed to. Oh, uh, you're Chris. That's good. Yeah. So I needed to have an edge, and so I started learning how to do everything else, mm-hmm. so that when I graduated, I had a reel of things that I had done. Yeah. Uh, most of which I had written and directed, and also edited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they weren't that great, but it gave me something to show people. Mm-hmm. So then, for uh, for student films, I had an edge over most of the people that were applying and so then I got student films and then I could replace the terrible things that I made with student film footage and then I could use the student films to get into actual work and I could replace the student films with like actual footage yeah and uh yeah that was basically it so I learned how to do I started doing it because of that and then it was also um I'm not interested in a lot of stuff that people are making very Mm -hmm. often uh I don't submit to that much uh, especially if it's not paying. If it's not paying and I think it looks terrible, <laughs> I'm not going to submit to it. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I mostly, like, I want to make things, and so I do whatever I have to to get it made. So that involved, I started writing things just because we'd have, like, an idea, and I'd go, like, okay, well, instead of this just being something we joke about, let's actually make it. Mm-hmm. So then I taught myself how to shoot things, and I taught myself how to edit things so that I could actually get made, and then... I wound up directing this short film just because we forgot to get a director, <laughs> and uh, we needed one. Um, uh, and that's Gareth. Yes. Yeah. So, so Gareth was an accident. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, most of the stuff in my life is an accident. Yeah. Most of the things that I'm doing are by accident. You're just kind of stumbling through like a holy fool, just hoping. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, so, tell me a bit about Gareth. I know, I know about it, but people who are listening may have, they don't know. Um, other than the rundown of it. It's a comedy with courses, uh, corpses. How long were you like? It's a golf comedy. Yeah, just four. Um, um, ca- a little derivative of Caddyshack, but it's still funny. It's still funny. Um, but anyway, how did it come to be that it's a really weird idea? Did you think of that, or was there a partner? Or it, was, it wasn't my idea. Okay. Um, I was shooting Stranger Than Nixon, mm-hmm. how long ago was that, like two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, a blizzard hit while we were there, and so we got stuck in New Jersey for a week, Whoa. and uh, which is fine, we had to shoot there, but there was like one day in particular where we just had nothing to do, yeah. 
uh, because we were just stuck in this hotel, and it was me and the writer. And he was showing me, like, some other stuff that they had uh, been wanting to make. And um, one of them was this uh, this idea for a script that he had had with some of the other people uh, that they're working on Nixon with. And uh, it was rough, but I thought it was funny. It just wasn't very focused. Mm-hmm. And uh, he approached me about working on it later on. And uh, it, it had kind of been... Abandoned. They decided to go like a different direction mm-hmm. uh, with it, and he approached me a while later uh, about working on it, and so we started like working on it, and I was like, "All right, like I think that this could be better." Like the the core idea when I look at it now, like it's actually very very different than it was mm-hmm. uh, when we started it. Like the only thing it has in common really is like the core cast of characters just like in terms of like who they are uh but what they do is changed a lot a lot of the descriptions the way that they act um supporting cast has changed a lot and it kind of turned into this story i'm really big on theming that's yeah. like what i'm obsessed with when it comes to writing anything in any medium and so that was the biggest thing with gareth when i first saw it was that i felt like it didn't really have a theme it was a bunch of jokes about what this guy could do if he had a bunch of bodies around his house mm-hmm. and uh I just kind of looked at it and I was like, okay, but why is this happening? What is this about? And it became this film about, uh, basically about just kind of like the human tendency to inflict punishment on yourself. Um, to the, the way that people respond when they don't really feel like they're worth much. And, uh, so then it became like every character, each, each of the main characters and most of the supporting characters kind of became like a different take on like, what would you do if you felt like you weren't worth anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, uh, for, for Gareth, it's that he uh, lives with dead bodies because he doesn't want to deal with uh, living people. He, doesn't, he doesn't feel worthwhile around living people. He feels really, really guilty, and he just loathes himself. Uh, but he can't disappoint a dead body, uh, and he can't screw up a dead body. Like, there's no way he can accidentally get them killed, yeah. <laughs> um, for example. Uh, there's a neighborhood watchman who, uh, went, he always talks about being in the war. Uh, the, 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 like, full story behind that, the whole thing didn't actually make it into the film because we had to cut a lot for time. Um, God, there's so many cut scenes, mm-hmm. uh, just in the script and everything. Uh, he never did anything in the war. He got sent over, and the day after he got to Vietnam, the war ended. <laughs> and so he, he came back without having done anything. And, uh, so he wants that, he wants the adoration of, uh, of, of, a, of a hero, basically. He wants to feel like he's contributed, he wants to feel like he's done something, so he's taken on this neighborhood watch job and takes it way too seriously. Mm-hmm. And so, that was, like, the biggest thing, was, uh, he was funny initially, but I was like, okay, but why is he doing these funny things? Instead yeah. of him just being, like, a random, uh, a random Bill Murray character. Yeah. Uh, why is he a Bill Murray character? Alright. became, like, the big thing. Um, I forgot yeah. what the question was. Um, it's just, it was literally, tell me a bit about Gareth. Right, so, so it's, that's uh, fine. yeah, it's really, so it, it's got, I wouldn't really classify it as a dark comedy, a lot of people do, just because it's got dead bodies, yeah. but I, I don't feel like most of the humor is in line with standard dark comedy. Yeah. Because I feel like none of the jokes come out of like, oh, he got his head cut off in a funny yeah. way. Yeah. It's, uh, like, most of the humor is, uh, I feel it's more akin to a screwball comedy, something, mm-hmm. uh, yeah 
something kind of like Billy Wilder. Um, okay. Yeah, definitely. Some Like It Hot was a big inspiration. Uh, just when it came to writing these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, David Lindsay Bear was yeah. a big inspiration when it came to dealing with serious subject matter in a lighthearted way. Yeah. Um, Wes Anderson was a big one. So it's... Uh, I, I wouldn't classify it as a dark comedy. Um, but I understand why people do. Yeah. Um, and in regards to the, the theme of feeling like you're not important, um, like, this is going to be kind of a crappy question, but how much experience do you have like that? Did you have to, like, sit and, like, think, or do you feel like that and that's, like, an extension of this, or is it you see this in other people and so you think the story should be told? You know what I mean? How personal is it is what I'm asking. Um, Gareth is definitely a mixture of how I think I'd react in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we say that we wrote it specifically for Miles. Yeah. Uh, which is partially true. Like, his mannerisms are definitely mm-hmm. something I kept in mind when I was writing it. But uh, I think that it's self-destructive tendencies. I think it's something that a lot of people have. Oh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's an incredibly personal story, though. Okay. It's not... Uh, well, in terms of, like, being something that comes from deep inside me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's something I've felt, uh, but not to an extent greater than the average person. Alright. Um, and that's, you're gonna start submitting to festivals, and that's starting that circuit when? Uh, we have been submitting to festivals. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say any of them. Because yeah. I don't know what the uh, what repercussions that could have. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, but the ones that we're submitting to start as early as June, like mid June. All right. Cool. Um, so we should start hearing back soon. Awesome. Uh, whether it's affirmative or not. Yeah. So. And uh, and I know uh, you've done stand up, but it's not your primary goal or anything. No, stand up's what I do um, to practice, basically. Okay. Uh, I don't do stand-up the way you're supposed to do stand-up. You're supposed to uh, develop material in clubs doing open mics and stuff. I don't do that. <laughs> I, I I write things, and I put together a routine, and I go, and I like try it out, mm-hmm. like in an actual show. Mm-hmm. And then I don't really do something for a bit, and I write a different routine, mm-hmm. and I go and try something out. And... I've been fairly successful, mm-hmm. uh, more successful than I should be with that. I haven't been, I haven't been killing, but I bombed maybe. maybe once, and it was like a really, really bad audience where like half the people bombed. Yeah. Um. So like, it, it's it's been, it's been fairly good. It's more me just trying out different humor. I've been working on another, on another set, but the main thing is that it just to actually go full time into stand up comedy. Yeah. Uh takes time that I would rather devote to other things. I totally understand. So, so that's like the main thing. It's like, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to make it as a stand-up comedian, uh, but I love stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and I enjoy doing it now and then. I do feel guilty sometimes taking a spot on an actual show mm. uh, because I know that that's not what I, uh, what I'm actually pursuing. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's kind of like, am I taking this spot away from somebody else that is actually like pursuing this? Um, but yeah, stand-up is, uh, stand-up's very much a, uh, a back burner thing for me. Oh, right on. And I know 
Like, um, do you think of yourself primarily as a performer or a writer, or do you think of just everything? I don't know. <laughs> I stopped trying to classify it. Right on. So you're just a, an artist, as someone who creates things, or a creative type. Eh. Eh. I don't know. You, okay. I, I don't really care about calling myself things, I just want to do things. Okay. Right on. And I know that you have uh, another project in the works, it's in the, on the tack board um out there and yeah the cork board yeah you know, the, I, I just have a cork board right. in the living room the first thing it says is establish autism yep <laughs> exactly like all right so what's what the hell is that i've actually been meaning to ask you about that um it's very early in pre-production all right uh it's something i won't be able to make until they have a lot more resources mm-hmm. it's something that if gareth is successful i might be able to do next year okay god willing um, I'm planning for it to be the second feature that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a project more or less about a child either with autism or Asperger's. Mm-hmm. He's either, he's, he's going to be either high function autism or, uh, or have Asperger's. I'm not, I'm not sure which yet. It's, mm-hmm. they're very different in the way that, uh, that, that it would affect the story. And cause the main thing is that I want to make this movie. I want it to put people in the mindset of somebody with autism because it feels like I'm tackling two things. I, I want to tackle two things that I feel like aren't represented very well in media, and that's uh, video games and autism. Okay. Uh, they're both usually represented very inaccurately uh, with very broad strokes. Uh, with video games, it's usually like they'll be playing Final Fantasy VIII, for example, in Charlie's Angels, and there's two kids sitting on the couch, like, mashing the buttons. And it flashes to the screen. It's Final Fantasy VIII, which is a one-player game, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, and it's also an RPG where you don't mash the buttons. You yeah. like select what you're gonna do, and you watch them do it. Like it's not yeah, just all kinds of inaccurate stuff like that, or this exchange where you're familiar with Assassin's Creed. So there's this there's this exchanging castle, which I, as far as like TV shows go, like I really like that show. Yeah. But there's this exchange. This guy walks in. He's got this kid that he's uh that he's protecting like with his protection, and he comes in and he's like. Hey, if you want, you do something. I can't remember like the exact line to start. It was like, you go on video games. I got Assassin's Creed Three. Put it on two player mode. I'll school your ass. Awesome. And the kid is, and the kid's like, whatever. You can't even make it past level three. And yeah. I just cringed so hard because nothing no, that they that said, sense. nothing that they, nothing that they said exists in that game. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like this thing of like, it, it's weird because writers aren't held to the same standards. I wrote this whole article about it for a gaming site I was working with at the time. Uh, about how writers aren't held to the same standards of integrity that they're uh, when they're writing about games as they are with any other subject. If yeah. uh, if anybody wrote about the Holocaust <laughs> and uh, and like it was and, and Hitler like you put these Jews into the camp and then they and they came out and it was like a theater camp. Like yeah. if they wrote something like that <laughs> and it wasn't meant to be like the greatest parody of all time, was, holy <laughs> shit, I want to make this now. But like if 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 it was if it was meant like if it was portrayed like this is how things are, yeah, they would be destroyed. They yeah. would not have a career. But when it comes to video games, you can just do that, and that's mm-hmm. fine. And then with autism, it's it's very much painted in broad strokes. Uh, you've got things like Big Bang Theory, which, oh my god, yeah. Uh, officially, though, Sheldon it does not have autism. That is the official canon, but it is also like... He is meant to be somebody... Like that, the, though, it, yeah. it is. It is somebody that is built off of the autism stereotypes. Agreed. And him not having autism is just supposed to be an, another joke about how autistic he is. Yeah, that's it's a fair. Thing. So they're like, oh, wow, he doesn't have autism and he's like this? Yeah. Like, it's... 
Um, but you've got things like, uh, like like Rain Man, which is a very, very specific. Like, that's a savant. And yeah. Rain Man's not... I'm not, I'm not attacking Rain Man. But, yeah. like, people Definitely will look not. at that and they'll think, like, oh, that's what assistant people are like. That's yeah. a very extremely small yeah. percentage. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got things like, uh, like, like Parenthood was kind of accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very on the nose with a lot of things. Yeah. Like, like more on the nose than it really is. Like, it also seems like this kid is so... It's like this scene where, uh, where Max is in, like, a class, and he's so bizarrely confrontational yeah. over, over like, the tiniest minutiae. And I'm just like, that's really extreme. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever actually... Cause I, I don't know. Like, autism played a large part in my life. Uh, I basically grew up with a cousin of mine who is high-function autistic, and I've got a lot of friends with Asperger's mm-hmm. and uh, high-function autism, and some who are more severely autistic. Yeah. Um, and so I've never... I, I feel like I have yet to actually see, like, these people that I know in life actually on screen. Yeah. Um, it's something that is that they very easily go to tropes. But the, but the biggest thing is that whenever I see them, it's always like, oh, you're supposed to pity them. Yeah. That's what I hate. Yeah. Um, because it's this thing of, like... Uh, there was one I am Sam. Um, yeah. You just like the whole time it's like a dog's being kicked, <laughs> and like whenever like it's always portrayed as like oh they've got this condition and man it makes life so hard, and it's like yeah no there there are definitely times where like it's hard but it's also like I feel like it's kind of dehumanizing mm-hmm. uh, sometimes to portray somebody uh, as completely helpless. And I feel like that's something that's happened with autism is they are portrayed as completely helpless, like all the time. Yeah. Like, and, uh, that's inaccurate. There are definitely people who are severely autistic mm-hmm. where it's like, they will never be able to live on their own. Yeah. Um, they will always have to have like a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people with autism and Asperger's who are doing incredible things. Yeah. Who have, uh, incredibly successful lives who have made huge discoveries in science and who and so many people like they theorize that hey they think einstein was autistic like like there's all these people where it's like you can do fantastic things and it's this thing like i have a couple friends that uh that i heavily suspect are autistic but i've never said anything about it Mm -hmm. because i don't want to put that stigma on them because i don't think that there's anything wrong with it uh but i i know that there's a stigma yeah about it and if people attach, like, that label of, like, autism to it, they're going to go, like, oh, well, that means they're not all there, right? Or they can't really do yeah. these things, or they can't socialize. And it's, like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like, they can do great things. Because it's not, it's not something like Down syndrome or some other type of, uh, uh, of, of defect where you can even really tell, like, what they're going to be like. It's, it's a spectrum, and it's, there's nothing else like it. Yeah. Because what it literally is is it's not it's not it has nothing to do with like missing chromosomes it has nothing to do with all these other th- like things that, that that are syndromes or that are like actual diseases. Uh, it is literally that their brain wires itself differently. Yeah. Uh, things parts of the brain like hook themselves up differently. I'm not like an expert on it. Like I, God knows, I'm still researching and learning and trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um. But it's that's literally all it is, is that they see the world in a different way. Yeah. Uh, and it varies from person to person. Somebody with Asperger's is wildly different from somebody with high function. And even one person with Asperger's is wildly different from another person with Asperger's because they are just people. Yeah. And uh, so that's like the big thing I want to I accomplish. And that's why I'm trying to decide 
exactly where on the spectrum he is because I want to use the camera and I want to use uh, the sound mixing and like everything about the, the the film and its style. I want it to be as heavily stylized as like Scott Pilgrim, but I want to do it uh, in a way that puts the audience in their mindset so that when they make a decision that the average person wouldn't make, the response isn't, oh, look at this poor kid with autism, mm-hmm. like doing a stupid thing. Like I want them, I want the audience to go like, yeah, no, like yeah. that's what you would do. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, are you going to try and cast someone with autism in the, the lead or are you going to just hire I don't know. a competent actor? I don't know. All right. Uh, I have no idea. Um, I'm going to definitely have casting open. Yeah. To people with autism, there are actors who have autism and Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some, and there are some blogs that I've been finding from people in the industry yeah. who uh, who are on the spectrum. Um, so I'm definitely going to have it open to that. Um, but uh, that, that's the main thing. Is like with ca- as far as like casting goes, like it's going to be something that's completely open. It's yeah. completely gender, race, right. even age to a certain extent, uh, open. Because the only thing that really matters for this character is if they can accurately and consistently portray the symptoms. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea. It's, it's okay. going to be open. It's probably going to be a process that I cast over months. That would make because sense. Because it's, it's going to be a very demanding thing. And so it's going to be... I'm asking a lot more of this actor than I did with any of the actors in Gareth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, not saying that the actors in Gareth couldn't do it, mm-hmm. um, but, but this is just a higher caliber thing. This is yeah, like I, I asked, I built Gareth largely. A lot of changes were made after the casting, uh, because I built it largely out of what the actors brought, and so a lot of it was like they can do this really well, so let's make this. But with, oh, yeah. with this, like no matter what, I'm asking them to build. A character outside of themselves yes. even if they are somebody with autism chances are there's going to be some differences between them and the character yeah um yeah and you mentioned like you know a few people with autism in the industry and how often do you think people with like some varying mental illness are in the arts and uh how do you think that seems to be very common and why do you think that is? What do you mean? Well, like, uh, basically, specifically actors, everyone, there's something wired differently with all artists because they look at things in a different way, and that's the nature of the gig. And I'm just wondering, like, what are your thoughts on that, essentially? Like, um, Well, with autism specifically, yeah. um, a lot of people on the spectrum, uh, a general consensus I'm finding is that uh, acting theater especially is very therapeutic for them yeah it gives them a way to connect to people because uh normally it can be really hard to connect with people Mm -hmm. uh but a play provides a bridge for them to actually uh reach these people that they otherwise don't know how to approach Mm -hmm. um it also helps them learn how to be more expressive um people like uh like laura uh she is, I believe she's high function autistic. She might have Asperger's, but she is on the spectrum. Yeah. And uh, that's very much like a thing for her is that uh, autism or uh, theater helped her a lot. Yeah. With uh, with breaking out of her shell and becoming like a more social person. And awesome. 
it was interesting just to watch her even through, like, going to school with her. She was in my section, and uh, just seeing her growth, like, through that process, and then since then, uh, mm -hmm. how much she has spread out and uh, taken in new things. Mm -hmm. um, she's probably one of the prime examples of just, like, yeah. people on the spectrum, like, can do things. Yeah. Like, they're not, they don't need your pity. Yeah, I think um, I just wired differently. My my uncle has this great saying that normal's just a setting on a dryer. Like, in as much as, meaning, like, there's no consistent normal yeah. for people, you know. Well, that's the stupid thing, is that I wonder how many small variations of, uh, well, I don't know. <sighs> it just took so long for people to even... We still don't really understand what autism is. Yeah. Like, we're still figuring out so many things about it. It keeps changing its classification. Like, they keep changing the way that they classify it. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're still not entirely sure where it comes from. That whole thing with vaccines happened. Oi. Which was... Great. Inaccurate. Yeah. It yeah. does seem like there's a... <laughs> it does seem like there's a genetic link, which is going to yeah. be interesting. Uh, there's a really long string of autism in my family so it's mm. going to be really interesting to see uh in the future like how that plays out yeah um, i hear you brother uh no, like i'm really curious if like yeah. one day i might have an autistic child yeah and it's just kind of i feel like i'd be prepared mm -hmm. for it it's just like raising any other child it's yeah. whatever um no, children are hard in general like yeah um but i feel yeah, like uh, severe autism though is very Different, yeah, than a high function. So far, everybody in my family has been high function. So, well, I don't know. Thank God for small miracles. No, um, I'm kidding. Uh, but I totally hear you. My my family as well has like this long history of mental illness, and like my um, niece is autistic and that sort of thing. So like, and that I do you think that links anything? I know it does for me. I do you think that being around those environments and um presumably you have everyone has some sort of genetic predisposition to mental illness when it's genetic um do you think that impacted you the way you do your craft and your art and did that push you towards doing film and theater and writing um do you think that links or do you think you would have just even if you'd been like completely no, it had nothing to do yeah. with uh with me going to the arts all right i also wouldn't Call being on the spectrum of mental illness. Okay, what would you call it then? It's I don't remember what the word is because like it literally is classified. Is it because neuro, neuro? Is it neuro, neurological no, disease or it's not? It's not neurological. Okay, it's uh because what it literally is is it literally is a physical yeah restructuring of the brain. Yes, is is like what it literally is. Mm -hmm. It's not something like like I said like it's it's not a mixed up chromosome. It's yeah. not. A, uh, it's it's not like a genetic disorder as far as they can tell. Mm -hmm. It's just that the brain literally like they there's so much that we still don't understand yeah. about it. But like I wouldn't call it a mental illness. Okay. Um, can there be people with autism who have mental illness? Absolutely. Yeah. But okay. um, like for example, uh, Elliot Rogers, the shooter in California. Yeah. I. I, I, I can't remember if they confirmed that he was on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, he was. That's right. They, they did confirm it. And it led to a lot of people thinking like that was the reason for it. Like, no. Yeah. It's like there was there were other things at play. Um, 
think a large part of it was just bad parenting, honestly. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that's the thing, is, like, bad parenting can really screw up somebody with, uh, with, with autism just because really? what a standard tendency is... Uh, is a, is a kind of rigid rule-like structure. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the big things with Elliot Rogers that I that I noticed, that I was like, yeah, I think this kid was, I think he was on the spectrum, um, was he had this extremely, he held really, really fast this belief that if he had this car and if he wore these clothes, if he cut his hair in this way, then he would get attractive women because these are the rules. This mm-hmm. is how life works Mm -hmm. and it was a very rigid and when he didn't get what he expected out of it he threw huge fits he threw huge tantrums it was like big meltdowns Mm -hmm. um because literally he learned this is the way the world works and then it didn't work Mm -hmm. and so uh that was that's a very it's a very strong sign um that he was on the spectrum Mm -hmm. so that said there's also upsides to that uh People on the spectrum are known to be really, really good romantic partners because monogamy is incredibly easy for them. Yeah. Um, so it's it really is just like it, it's just personality traits. Yeah, that is makes much total all sense. Yeah, it's just extreme personality traits. Yeah. Right on. Um, but no, I didn't. Get, I didn't uh, go into. Uh, I didn't go into acting. Because of mental illness at all. Okay. No. Like, it had nothing to do with it. Okay, it was just the... Because you wanted to get, like you said, get out of the house and just needed an environment. Yeah, I wanted to leave the house and then I uh, I liked it, so I kept yeah. doing it. Right on, I hear you. Um, very similar with me. I was like, oh, that looks like fun. I'll try that. Um, uh, and then also, like, you, the misrepresentation of autism and then also video games. And that I know for, you know, that's a big thing. Right, how that obviously. ties in. Yeah. So the so the the general plot for the story right now is yeah. that this uh this kid on the spectrum uh, runs away from home mm-hmm. to travel across the country and uh, participate in a fighting game tournament. Okay. Um. Yeah. So it's it's still really early in development of figuring out all the dynamics, kind of what the characters are, mm-hmm. figuring out if it would be more, if it would be easier to tell it cinematically. Uh, is that a word? That's a word. Yeah, it is okay. a word. <laughs> if it would be easier to get the effect that I want, if he was, if he had Asperger's or if he was high functioning. Yeah. Um. So it's 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 still really early in pre-production. I'm still doing a lot of research. No, it sounds really cool. Though. But that's that's the basic plot, and I want it to be funny. I want it to be light. Yeah. Uh, I want it to be basically an adventure film that just happens to have yeah. a, uh, an autistic protagonist. That's excellent, man. Um, that sounds really cool. Um. And I also want to portray video games accurately. Oh, yeah. Like, like the video games seem ac- accurately. Yeah. Because I would imagine that would be incredibly frustrating between, like, because it is, and that's one of my main problems with, like, like you were saying, Big Bang Theory. Is, like, I think the first season they got some things really right, and then just from there it became this cartoonish, bizarre... Well, everybody's like, oh, it's a, it's a show for nerds. Yeah. I'm like, it's not. It's a show by people who, it's a show about nerds from people who aren't actually nerds. Yeah, pretty much. Like, it's, it's a show cashing in on nerds. Yeah. Whereas I feel like something like Community was written by a person that was a nerd. Yeah. And so it, it rings more true. Um, There's this tendency to use nerd culture as a, as a status. Um, mm-hmm. As a, as a as a claim to some sort of status, yeah, and uh, it's really annoying, and all kinds of people do it, and it just makes me want to slap them. <laughs> um, if you if you were actually like really into something, mm-hmm. you don't have to convince people about it. You don't have to 
make a claim to it. You don't have to tell people that you're a nerd. Community never goes like, community never makes a thing out of like, oh, look, we're nerds. Mm -hmm. um, that said, a lot of people respond to it like, oh man, I'm so Abed. Yeah. And like, wanted to convince people like, dude, I'm Abed. Mm -hmm. Because they see like that nerd thing and they're like, that makes me unique. That makes me special. That makes yeah. me interesting if I'm that person. And I think that's the big, I think that's how nerd became cool was, uh, cause I remember back in high school, the Harry Potter movies were coming out and everybody was going to see him and posting pictures and being like, Oh my God, we're such nerds. I'm like, mm -hmm. Harry Potter is like this mainstream, like, like, yeah. it's it, look at how much money it's making. Yeah. Like, like to say that you're such a nerd for going and seeing it when half the town is going and seeing yeah. it. Like it's you might as well be going to the football game like at that point. And it's not, but then you know when I say that, then it sounds like I like I treasure myself as a nerd, and I'm like it's not even that. It's like I just want people to just shut up and just like the things that they like yeah. without having to uh, try and justify it. To claim everything. status over yeah. it, basically. Right on. Um, that makes sense, and that but that's also been going on since like the dawn of time. I feel like, and it goes on with sports too. Of like, no, I'm a bigger fan of this team than you, and it's like it, that's. Everything. I feel like people are just kind of naturally competitive and want to be the best and want to feel like, you know, it kind of ties in with Garrett, they want to feel like they're worth something and identifying through these other things makes them okay. Yeah, but the thing is that with nerd culture, mm -hmm. it feels like then the people who are like actually really into the Saints are just kind of on the sidelines like watching and just like, what, yeah. what's, like what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, Internet culture has changed a lot. Yeah, it is a really weird dynamic that we've created using the internet um so what like yeah, this is kind of such a blase question after all the discussion we have but like oh, who were your your heroes growing up or like people you look to and go i want to do shit like that person does it or do you are you completely self-motivated of like i just want to do what i want to do and that's fine um I've never really idolized celebrities. Mm -hmm. I don't see the point. Okay. Um, I feel like talking about uh, talking about an actor and being like, oh man, look at that. Like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I feel like is a waste of time. Yeah. Because that person already exists and that movie already exists and they're not going to make it again unless it's Ghostbusters where they're going to ruin it. <laughs> and... Uh, it's 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 a waste of time. Yeah. I feel like uh, to be preoccupied with celebrities and what they do and their fame. Mm -hmm. um, I was mostly inspired by people that I knew uh, back home in the community theater scene. Uh, people like Mike Cheney, people like Caitlin Nolan, um, who nobody knows because they're people that I knew personally. Yeah. But they um, they taught me various things. Caitlin Nolan taught me how to work. Uh, she taught me how to do your part in a play, how to actually contribute to the cast, not just learn your lines and show up. Mm -hmm. um, people like Isaac Klander showed me how to connect with the cast and how to make friends. Uh, people like Mike Cheney uh, showed me how to put everything out there and uh, not let yourself kind of get... I don't know what the word is, but uh, how to not get wrecked with worry and get really nervous about what you're about to do, not worry, like, to have no shame. He got rid of my dignity, basically. <laughs> um, that is the first thing you need to eliminate as a performer. Yeah. yeah. And, because uh, that was, uh, that was a big thing. Yeah. The first time I, like, actually really did a play was Midsummer Night's Dream, I feel like. That was mm -hmm. the, that was, like, my third play, but it was the first time that 
something was actually asked of me where I wasn't an understudy, where I wasn't in the chorus. Who were you? I was Francis Flute. All right. Uh, so I had to be Thisbe at the end. Yes. And uh, we decided to go like the the serious route, or, like and actually give it like a character arc where at the end, like the dying monologue is actually like delivered seriously, and it's like, oh, mm -hmm. whoa, yeah, like like Francis Flute like did something good, <laughs> and uh, like this play that's been like nothing but jokes. Mm. suddenly like there's something that like really grounds it and there's like this really well done death monologue mm -hmm. and then bottom gets up yeah and uh and starts like and starts like dying again yeah and uh because I, I like i like die like with my head on his chest and michael cheney was my bottom yeah Ooh, <laughs> let me <laughs> let me rephrase that no but uh the the opening night i was terrified because it was in a dress and heels with really terrible fake boobs and uh, I was supposed to go out there, and uh, it was easy early on, uh, earlier on in the play, when I was just making a joke out of it. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, look at me, I'm being a girl. Yeah. Like that, like that whole thing. That, yeah. that was easy. Uh, but then to go out there and like, all right, now go do this like death scene, but do it like really seriously. And I was like, extremely nervous I was going to mess it up. Uh, part of it was because there was this guy, huge asshole, like, mm -hmm. oh, God, I could talk with this guy forever. Um he uh he told me like at the auditions that uh that i probably wouldn't get in because you know I, I wasn't very good and i only got into the last ones because not a lot of people auditioned and like they didn't yeah. really have a choice that whole thing like to um, your face he said this to my face yeah awesome. and, and, he, and he didn't and he didn't that kind of like i'm doing you a favor buddy yeah uh <laughs> like joe pesci telling louis ck to give up on stand-up <laughs> um that happened that happened that's awesome um a little bit ago, actually, after Louis C.K. was actually like already like a really established stand-up comedian, it happened like a couple happened this year, that's, last or last year. That's fascinating. He's just like, look, I see you, you're trying, but you're just not good at stand-up, man. Just don't. That's great. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. I, w I was like really nervous. Uh, I was worried I was gonna let everybody down, that sort of thing. Yep. And uh, he, he like Mike Cheney kind of gave me like a pep talk, and the director gave me a pep talk, uh, Susan Donahue. And so I went out and did it, and then after that first night, it was never hard again. Yeah. Um, because then after that show, like, somebody I knew came up to me who uh, was, he's probably bipolar. I don't know, he's very, very emotional, mm -hmm. very emotionally wild person. Uh, came up after the show, said he was having, like, a terrible day, and then he felt better after, like, watching the play. It, like, made him feel a lot better. It was funny, and he just had a really good time. It's wonderful. And uh, so, like, that was really nice to me and I feel like that's when I figured out why I wanted to do it yeah that makes um, sense so yeah so that's the thing is like so basically yeah people I looked up to was mostly people back then mm -hmm. as far as acting technique goes I'm not I never really want to act like anybody else because I feel like they're going to get cast in those parts I don't need to do it okay um, I'm more concerned with creating my own thing and with how I conduct myself outside of like the film outside of the work yeah and so most people that i idolize are more people that I idolize for the way that they conduct themselves people like steve carell people like uh stephen colbert i really idolize jim carrey i idolize uh outside of his work i like their work as well like obviously that's why okay. i watch them but like what really pulls me into them is the way that they handle themselves outside of it that's yeah um that's interesting it also really helps that they're uh they're all straight white men yeah yeah, um, cis male for yeah. the win. But uh, yeah. So that that's 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 really it. I don't see. 
I, I don't like comparing myself to celebrities. Yeah, I don't think. I feel like it's an easy shortcut, but it's also like inaccurate because like we when we well, it's it's self gratifying. It's people like to uh, people like to feel like they're doing something, and so if they're able to pay this much for headshots, and if they're able to uh, compare themselves to this person that's successful, uh, then they don't have to actually look at themselves, and they don't have to actually examine themselves and actually work. My thing was always really difficult because, you know, in the, the business class they had, like, pick two celebrities and then that equals you sort of thing. With this, a blah, and this, a blah, and it's me. Well, my thing was, like, that was always, like, I could get, like, two down, but it was always inconsistent because I don't think that's an accurate, like, because it just depends on the role, too. It's commercial. And it's just, like, it completely is It's for commercial. Inaccurate. That's yeah. the thing. Was their business class prepared is for commercial. Yeah. And the thing is, I have no real interest in commercial. Yeah. Um, I'm not looking for a commercial agent. Um, right on. I wouldn't say no, but I'm not here to make a living or make money. I would like to make a living. But, like, yeah. I'm fine with making what I'm making my day job now. Mm-hmm. Just doing what I actually want to do. I don't... I don't need money. Yeah. The only thing I would do with money is just make more things. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... The only reason I would want money is to be able to fund things. Mm-hmm. I get that. So I don't know what else I would do with it. Yeah, give it away. No. That, that's why I want a lot of money, is to give it away to people. Um, nah, you're full of shit. No, man. You're full of shit. No, man. Then you wouldn't want the money in the first place. You I just want it to go straight to them. Yeah, I, if, we, if I could set that up, yeah. Um, helping people, dude. Love helping people. Um... So, um, do you want to talk about Sparks in the Park at all? Uh, I don't know how much I can. Okay, that's fine. Um, it's, I don't know, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about it. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Um, but yeah, uh, and you got this whole community on YouTube that is, you just put out video game stuff and what whole community meaning 12 british kids yo dude that's more people than i have following me on youtube probably i don't know i haven't checked and they're english that means they're upper class people that means they're cultured so that means you are highbrow sir what's um so what's the, <laughs> so what's the question <laughs> uh i wasn't i was just bragging for you man Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, um, how did... Did you just, like, go, oh, I like this shit, I'm gonna put it up on YouTube and just have a go see if anyone else likes it and that sort of thing, or... I always really liked YouTube uh, back from when it first started. I thought it was a really cool thing to do. Um, I got started with my friend Isaac back home. Uh, We did really terrible skits (laughs) and put them online. That was me figuring out how to make things. Yeah. Uh... That's mostly what the sketch comedy was, was just a training ground to learn how to actually shoot things. Yeah. What works, what doesn't. Um, And then I started doing some gaming stuff. I started just putting random stuff on the channel just whenever I got it. I I knew I wanted to do something. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then uh, video games became an easy thing to talk about because I could find people there that were willing to discuss it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really easy to connect with. And so okay. I started doing really bad video game videos that were just me and a camera and no editing or anything. And then I started turning it into something 
more intensive. I started talking about design. I started talking about uh, theming. Because I think video games are a really interesting medium. Um, yeah. I thought about trying to work in video games before, but I don't think that I have the patience to do what video game work is. Uh, yeah. I, I couldn't program. It would drive me insane. Okay. I can barely handle editing, and programming is much more tedious than that. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I do love how, like, if you go back and, like, because, you know, I met you a few years ago and you were at, like, a decent level of production, but, like, just going and back and looking at the logs and then going from there and getting to see where you've arrived with Gareth and the quality of that production, and that's something you've made has been a wonderful arc to see, just, like, shit getting better and better and better and better. I'm excited for the next thing I'm doing for the channel. Yeah. Um, it'll take months to make, but it's, uh... The, the direction I'm basically pushing it to is uh, making video game short films. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't feel like it's something that's being done yet, which is the main reason I wanted to do it. That's why I don't make as much content as people want me to make sometimes. Is they want me to like make videos talking about topics that are popular, but I'm like, people are already talking about it. Like, yeah. I don't want to just say something other people are saying for views. I want to... That's why I usually don't cover games that are really new, just because I feel like all oh, that's going to be covered... I'm finally working on a Undertale video, mm -hmm. and it's just because people aren't making Undertale videos anymore, so everything that was going to be said about it, I feel like has been said. Okay. So looking at it, I'm like, alright, I feel like I have something to say about Undertale that other people haven't said yet, so I'm going to make this video because I think it's worth making. Cool. Um, I, I would assume that's, that's kind it. of your approach to everything you make, is like trying to fill those gaps. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, I don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to make... Things that have already been made. Okay. Uh, I see a lot of stuff come out of film schools, and I'm like, wow, this guy's trying really hard to be Scorsese. Yeah. That's actually what most film students are trying to do, is oh, just yeah. be Scorsese. Big time. Like, goddamn. They, like, the amount of pieces of films I see where they're just trying to do, like... I gotta find my De Niro, man. I gotta find my De Niro. There's so many mafia films that yeah. I'm like, none of you know anything about the mafia. It's not relevant anymore. Yeah. No, it really is. Like, you're in your 20s. I've seen so many bad mafia movies <laughs> from uh, from film students. It's, it's just bizarre. And, and that's the thing. Is that, and that goes back to that obsession with, like, obsession over things that exist. Mm -hmm. And going like, oh, man, they're successful. I want to compare myself to them so that I can be successful. It's just like, they're already doing it. Like, yeah. stop. Just find what you're good at that no one else can do and then do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, um, so basically, Sparks in the Park is a mafia movie. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. He's gonna get Joe Pesci and Louis C.K. to be in the same frame, and it's gonna be awkward, but it's gonna be real. Apparently they're still friends. Yeah. Apparently what happened is, uh, Louis wanted Joe Pesci to work on Horse and Pete, so he sent him the script. Yeah. And, uh, Joe Pesci responded saying he didn't want to do it because he didn't, he didn't like the limelight. He didn't want a bunch of attention. <laughs> and so he was like, by the way, I watched your stand-up and stuff. I think you should really just stick to TV. <laughs> to TV. He's, like, he's, like, he's like, you're okay as an actor, but you're really struggling on stand-up. That's so funny. So like, and then he, and then he was like, I don't want to be involved. He, he's like, I, I'm turning down Horse and Pete. He's like, I think your show's going to do good. That's why I don't want to be a part of it. Huh. Like, so it's interesting guy. Yeah, that's a very... So uh, they're friends. They're on good terms. It's yeah. just... What a funny thing to say to one of the premier stand-up comedians working currently. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would agree though. Like, I think I like his show better than his stand-up. I 
watched his stand-up when people started like going crazy about him, and I didn't understand why people liked him so much. Yeah. But I think that everything he does outside of his stand-up is really good. I love yeah. him in interviews. I think he's an incredibly interesting person. Yes. Um, and his stand-up isn't bad. I just find it very one-note. Yeah. Um, Louis is incredibly hit and miss for me, but when, mm. it's, but when it hits, it hits really hard. Mm-hmm. The Late Show arc is yeah. some of the best TV that's been made in like the last ten years, I feel like. Um, and then it completely drops anything that happened there. I guess the main, reason, <laughs> the main reason I have an issue with the with this TV show is just that I just want like some sort of consistent, some sort of narrative. Yeah, yeah, some kind of some kind of through lines. It just jumps all over the place and it makes yeah. it hard to get invested. Which I think Horace and Pete's really good though. Horace oh, and Pete is insanely good. I think he does that on very much on purpose with Louis because, um, in as much as I think. No, it's de- he's definitely because he thinks life is absurd and inconsistent, and so he wants it to reflect that. Is what I get the vibe of. Cool, but then there's episodes that I just don't care about. And yeah, I just forget about immediately. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but uh, so Gareth is going to be doing touring. Is not going to be touring. He's going to be submitting to festivals, and then are you going to release it online at all or home video? It'll definitely be going. Um online we may start distributing it via dvd if the response is good okay um we're waiting to hear back from big festivals and those are really Mm going to dictate what we do uh with distribution and the rest of our run if it hits the big festival that we submitted to uh for Mm mid-june if it hits that then uh we're gonna go hard on uh on the festivals because that means that it's a film that can really contend yes um and so we will, uh, we'll be hitting festivals really, really hard. Right. Um, other than that, films like festivals have different rules about distribution and uh, whether it can be online. Yeah. At most, it wouldn't be online until next year. Okay. Uh, just because we don't want festivals to say no because they yeah. can just go watch it online. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. all your other stuff, where can you, people find you there? You can find Cyberpunch online if you just look for Cyberpunch. That's on my <laughs> actor page. It's terrible. Get really drunk and watch it. It's, and it's so it's, funny. it's so good, drunk and it's awesome. uh, it's it's a movie that we made. Me and a couple friends made over a couple weeks over the summer with literally no money, uh, and it's a sci-fi film. It's a, it's a sci-fi martial arts comedy. And everything about what you just said appeals to there me. There are so many issues with it. There's so much that's wrong with it. It's so funny. Um, because it was supposed to be funny but not entirely in the way it was intended I don't know so Cyberpunch is up there Shabbat Dinner is also on YouTube uh, under the director's page Um, so just look for Shabbat Dinner that was the first film I ever acted in Uh, and it's probably the most successful thing I've ever done Um, if you like video games look for Lord Jackal it's a (laughs) channel I made when I was 12 it's not it's bad but it's... <laughs> I love the confidence in all of these pitches. It's like, watch this. It's terrible, I, but do I, it anyway. I can't watch any of my stuff back. Yeah? Uh, I can watch Cyberpunch back because it's bad in a funny way, but Lord Jackal's just bad. Yeah? That's just, yeah. It's just... Uh... What, why do you think that is? Like, Because I'm bad at things. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> what? I don't... I, I disagree. Like, otherwise I wouldn't I'm be really hanging bad. out with... I'm really bad at things. Yeah, you're clearly the worst video game player ever I've ever seen. I, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not a speedrunner. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
No, like, uh, I meant, like, do you have, like, a little voice in your head, like, oh, that's shit, and, like, every little thing, that every mistake, and it just gets out of control, and... Or... I have yet to make something that doesn't have a lot of issues. Okay. I, I have yet to put anything on that channel that does not have perfect sound, and visuals, and editing. Okay. Um, and content. Mm-hmm. Like, I... Every time I make something, I'm just like, well... This will do. I should have done that differently. Yeah. <laughs> This is what I had at the but time. But then it's also like, well, I'm not getting paid for this, so <laughs> okay. let's just put it up there anyways. Right on. Those stupid British kids can't tell the difference. <laughs> I do, I, I kind of, I live for that almost, actually, like when you make something that you know is not perfect at all and you throw it up anyway, you're just like, fuck it. This'll, I don't care anymore. The last of us video I spent six months making. Yeah. A large part of that was just because I was like, ah, how do I fix this? <laughs> and there were so many things that I just couldn't fix, and I was just like, ah, how do I just put a Band-Aid on it? And hope people don't notice it. And uh, they threw need it Band-Aid, this need a, needs a tourniquet, man. And it got a good response from the three people that saw it, so. Yeah, I remember seeing that. It was good. That was my first time making something documentary style. Yeah. And uh, it shows. Uh, <laughs> you know, Michelangelo said I'm still learning, so... Well, even if even he can admit that, it's fine. No, I, think. I don't give a fuck about Michelangelo. I you don't like the Ninja Turtles? No. <laughs> okay. It's actually really bad. I hate it. Yeah, fucking Turtles, man. No, I like the uh, early '90s movies. Yeah. those are good. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go, man. Dancing to Tequila. <laughs> that was good. Anyway, the ones are just depressing. Yeah, yeah. They're making them so fast. Probably because they don't need any actors. They just put a camera at a green wall, let it roll for an hour and a half. He just does whatever he wants. Yep, pretty well. So this has been fun. I'm not happy. I, yeah, I got that. <laughs> With what specifically now? Or is the voice in your head going, oh, I could have done this better? A little bit. Okay. You know what? Uh, you know what's great about the, that, Chris? Uh, you are not in charge of this podcast, so it does not matter whether or not you think you could have done better. I've been—I'm pretty satisfied with how this went. The only reason Gareth came out good is because I hired a bunch of people who knew what they were doing. Uh, well, you know that's the, that's the mark of a good director and producer, actually. My greatest strength is knowing that I'm shitty at a lot of things. <laughs> Excellent. Well. I think I, I gotta go to work. I gotta just uh, awkward out. You know, I'm gonna just. Uh, it was actually it was, this was actually good. To actually, have a decent conversation with you for about an hour. This hasn't happened in a while. I feel like you're doing like 15 podcasts a week. No, 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 no. Like this is the second one today. I mean, like no, this this decent conversation with you. I feel like a lot of it is you're playing Mass Effect. I'm like, hey, what's up? Well, and I then well, I haven't had a voice in three years. That's fair. Um... So what I'm saying is, uh, we should hang out more. Um, yeah, I know, I sound like a, sound like a, well, not a bass, but I sound like a baritone. Mm-hmm. That's the closest you'll ever come to a bass. Man, no. Um, I've been bass before. Yeah. God, you do kind of have this, like, Dustin Hoffman sort of quality right now. I don't give a shit about Dustin Hoffman. No, clearly not. Um... But anyway, um, if you really hate this come on again and we'll do another one that's like more fun and funny if you want to do that delete it okay right now just gone boom yeah clearly i lied are but you anyway. doing 
multiple podcasts with people. Oh yeah, if they want to come back, and if you have something else you want to talk about, and like that sort of thing. Yeah, I'll just, people. I'll just like, be. Um, who is it? Is it Alec Baldwin? One of the guys at SNL. Just like whenever they. Oh yeah, they don't. Whenever, whenever they can't get anybody else. <laughs> Tell Baldwin or Steve Martin. It might, yeah. it might be both of them. Whenever yeah. they can't find somebody to host, they're just like, hey, you want to come on this week? Like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, specifically, all the people that are like, I'm doing right away, like the first like five or six I want to have later on when it's actually involved into what it's meant to be. You know what I mean? Because like every every like first three episodes of anything, it's always kind of rough. So specifically, like Tyler, I want to have back on because oh, I was like, I guess we're going to talk for an hour with that. And so I wasn't exactly sure what I was dealing with it yet. Okay. But anyway, um, is this still rolling? Yeah, man. Thanks. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop recording now. Thanks for doing this, man. All right.